Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. Well, good morning, City Bridge Community Church. Uh, my name is Derek Matthews. I get to serve here as our Director of Teaching Ministries. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Uh, yeah, uh, you're going to be hearing that a lot over the next year because we are about to dive into one of the most beautiful sermons that has ever been recorded, which is the book of Hebrews. We're going to take two semesters to walk through it. We're going to take some breaks along the way, but we're going to be diving deep into the book of Hebrews for this next year. And so as you turn there, let me kind of set up our series for us. And I need to invite you kind of into, uh, I wouldn't call it conflict, um, but I would call it a discussion uh, that my wife and I have every single year. Uh, We've been married for 12 years. We've had this conversation 12 times. Uh, At the beginning of every summer season, we have to decide, hey, where are we going to go on our kind of summer trip? We try to get away every summer. And we uh, often debate one central question, which one is better Beach or mountains? And uh, so we're going to decide that right here and right now. We're going to do a little live poll here. I don't want to be biased, and so I'm not going to tell you which one I land in, but my wife lands in one camp. I land in another camp. So every single year, we have to decide, hey, we're going to spend money. We're going to spend time. We're going to go and experience a place. Which one is it going to be, beach or mountains? And so let me ask you, on the count of three, I want you to shout out, which one do you prefer? Which one do you see is better, beach or mountains? You ready? One, two, three. I heard mountains. Um, I don't even think anyone said beach. Uh, Golly. Uh, Well, babe, I'm sorry. The people have spoken. And uh, it seems like mountains is the clear winner here. Uh, so here's reality. One, thank you for that. Um, You, you know, resolve some conflict in our marriage or maybe created some. We'll see. Um, Time will tell. Uh, But while we're doing that, let's kind of think about some other kind of comparisons side by side that I know maybe in your family, in this church community, maybe in your community group, you've had these questions of going, hey, which one's better? So the first one that I know is a hotly debated reality here at City Bridge is simply Chick-fil-A or Canes. Y'all ready? One, two, three. Chick-fil-A! Thank you. Thank you. If you said Cane's, (laughs) you've had chicken before, right? Like, you know what it's supposed to taste like, right? Chick-fil-A is clearly the right answer. Cane's exists because Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays, all right? (laughs) All right, so that was an easy one. Next one is, oh gosh. Um, Should I start the war him now or? All right, Aggies are Longhorns. Ready? One, two, three. Yes! I heard Baylor. <laughs> We're going to call that one a tie because I don't want anyone too upset with me before I open God's word. Next one, DC or Marvel. Now I'm not talking superheroes. I'm not talking comics. I'm talking about the movies. All right. There is a right answer here. Y'all ready? DC or Marvel? One, two, three. Marvel! Unanimous. Well done. Well done. The correct answer is Marvel. 
Uh, the last one is obviously, you know, Kyle, Jeff, or Derek. Y- y'all ready? One, no, don't. Do, do not, no, nobody's heart can handle that one way or another, all right? But here's reality. Every single time you put something next to each other, the human heart naturally will gravitate towards whatever they see as better, right? And so if you truly believe that Chick-fil-A is better, you're not gonna be going to Cane's all the time. You're gonna be going to Chick-fil-A, right? That's what happens in the human heart. We naturally gravitate towards the things that we believe is better. And so even if we say one thing, our life actually dictates what we truly believe as ultimately better in our choices and how we live our lives. And so that's silly when it comes to all these different options we just kind of walk through, but it becomes much more serious when we have to engage with the reality of Jesus or work, or maybe Jesus and money, or maybe Jesus or comfort, or maybe Jesus or safety, or maybe Jesus or every other thing I could ever want in my life that I spend most of my time, my money, my effort pursuing. There is a reality here that for so many of us, we can say, hey, Jesus is better, but our lives, our choices, what we think about, what we care about, what we put in that center throne room in our lives begins to betray us. C.S. Lewis wonderfully said that if he who has God in everything else has no more than he who only has God himself. And the question is, do we really believe that? that if we could have everything our hearts desired, would we look at all that and go, no, 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 Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And so the reality of it is a part of the sanctifying life, becoming more and more like Jesus, becoming a life that's marked by more joy, more peace, more satisfaction, is actually seeing Jesus more and more fully for who he is and what he's done. And as we see him, all of a sudden, things begin to change in our hearts. We begin to see these other things in the proper place, that they might be good, they might be noble, they might be wonderful in your life, but they're not ultimate. And every other thing outside of Jesus is inferior to the person of Jesus Christ. And so the problem we have to wrestle with is not, is Jesus better? He objectively is. He is objectively better than every other thing in this universe. The question we have to answer and wrestle through is do we actually see him that way? Do we see him as better? Because our hearts will naturally gravitate towards those things that we see as ultimate, that we see as better. And so much of our life is the pursuit of things that are less than Jesus. And we're looking for those things to give us satisfaction, give us joy, give us meaning, give us ultimate fulfillment. And we're always a little dissatisfied, aren't we? because those weren't meant to give us what only Jesus can. And so I know for me, my heart can gravitate towards comfort. Like what can occupy the little throne room in my life is comfort, especially after a long day, the kids are down and I get my me time, right? My little window of like 12 minutes at the end of the day. And I have options every single time to linger with Jesus or to binge watch something. And I often just pick that comfort because I'm looking for peace. I'm looking for rest, but I try to find it in something that's not Jesus. What is it for you? 
Maybe it is comfort as a way to seek peace. Maybe it's your work as a sense of purpose and attaboys and attagirls and affirmation. Or maybe it's money because it gives you the sense of security. And then the moment that's threatened, we begin to be anxious and and stressed out. All these things are not bad, but they're all inferior to the superiority of Jesus. And so if we try to find our ultimate sense of worth and satisfaction in them, they'll always leave us empty and longing for something that our hearts were made for, which is Jesus Christ. And so the Puritans had a phrase, how do you dislodge a beautiful thing from the human heart? They said, you replace it with a more beautiful thing. And Jesus is that more beautiful thing. And so the book of Hebrews was likely a sermon. It was a sermon by a pastor who looked at his congregation and he began to see that they once had this vibrant joy in the person of Jesus Christ, but they were beginning to drift because they were taking their eyes off of Jesus and seeing him as better. And they were drifting back to seeing other things that were inferior to Jesus. And they were elevating those things and going, okay, no, this is what my life's about. This is what my joy is found in. This is where my love needs to be pursued and and, and focused upon. And he was crying out to them, no, there is an objective reality that is the best thing in the universe. And it's Jesus Christ. And your hearts were made for him. So don't drift back to that old way of thinking. Don't drift back to those old habits. Don't drift back to that old religiosity. That's not where life is found. Life is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so the author of Hebrews wants to do something very simple for us. Lift our eyes to see Jesus for all that he is and all that he's done. And when we do so, when we see him, then the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And so if I had to summarize the book of Hebrews, it's this, don't drift away from Jesus, draw near to Jesus because Jesus is better. He's better than anything you can put next to him. He's better. And the author of Hebrews is gonna help us see that as objective reality. And if we get this right, not only will we begin to see Jesus as better, but that joy, that peace, that love, that fulfillment that you long for, and that is a good thing, will finally be found in the only person that it can be found in, and that's Jesus Christ. And then all these other things that we pursue will find their proper place. And you'll actually find more joy more fulfillment in them because they're no longer ultimate. It's because you're finding your ultimate joy in Christ alone. And so if we get this right, man, how our lives will be changed. And so why are we doing Hebrews? Well, we got together as a teaching team and elders and we just started to think about us as a church community And we started to think about, hey, we can pick the book of Hebrews to do a couple things because the book of Hebrews gives us a couple things. First, it gives us a lens into the Old Testament. It actually gives us this lens into the Old Testament narrative. We don't know much about the author of Hebrews. We know that he was an apostle or close to an apostle, someone who had apostolic authority to communicate the words of God in the first century. And yet what we don't know about him is like much else. But we know that he had a thorough understanding of the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is not just cute little stories about you know, moral examples of people to follow or not follow. That's not what your Bible is. 
In fact, Jesus came in in Luke 24, he says, you know what the Old Testament about? It's about me. Everything in the Old Testament is leading towards the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so the person who wrote Hebrews doesn't just know the Old Testament, but knows how to read the Old Testament as a lens to see Jesus. Because when we see Jesus for who he is and what he's done, we begin to have our hearts filled with the beauty of, he, of who he is. And so the way to do that is to understand what everything came before towards Jesus. And so the book of Hebrews is gonna quote the Old Testament 35 times. That's three times per chapter. And so as we move through the book of Hebrews, we're gonna linger in some Old Testament narratives. And as we see what they saw, we're gonna see Jesus be all the more beautiful, all the more amazing. To truly appreciate all that Jesus is, we must understand all that came before him because everything was leading towards Jesus. So the book of Hebrews gives us a lens into the Old Testament, but it also gives us a picture of the superiority of Christ. You see what the book of Hebrews does constantly is it's gonna show us this Old Testament theme or narrative or person. And, and, and then the author's gonna go, oh, you think Moses was great? Look at Jesus. You think the law was good, look at Jesus. You think the sacrificial system of the Old Testament was good, look at the ultimate sacrifice in Jesus. It's gonna keep comparing from lesser to greater, from this thing that was good to the thing that is ultimate, which is Jesus Christ. 25 times in the book of Hebrews, it uses words like better, greater than. The point is clear, Jesus is better than everything that's come before, and so don't drift away. Don't go back to that old system of thinking and living. Run towards Jesus, draw near to him. And the final reason we're doing Hebrews is that Hebrew gives us a warning and an encouragement. And it gives it to us. Like I said, the book of Hebrews was most likely a sermon. And if you read it this week, you, you probably saw this like ebb and flow back and forth between look at Jesus, how amazing and awesome he's, he is. And then now look at me, don't drift away. Don't drift away from him. It's dangerous, it's deadly. Look at Jesus. The entire book of Hebrews is simply summarized by don't drift away from Jesus. Draw near to him because he is better. There are five warning passages in Hebrews and they're intense, but there's also five encouragement passages to celebrate the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so the author of Hebrews is gonna take 13 chapters. If you were to read it from cover to cover, it would take you 40 minutes. So I'm not saying that's a divinely ordained timestamp for a sermon, but it did take him 40 minutes to work through. We're gonna take two semesters because we're gonna go deep into this beauty. And as you move through it, you're gonna see these three major movements he's trying to communicate. The first is the superiority of Christ, that Jesus is better. He's gonna take the first three chapters to unpack that. And then he's gonna talk about the superiority of Christ's work, that what Jesus has done is better, chapters four through 10. And then finally, when our hearts begin to grab the reality and we begin to see Jesus more and more for who he is and what he has done, then all of a sudden it'll click. The superiority of Christianity, of the Christian life, of the Christian faith, this group of people were being tempted to get pulled back because of persecution, to go back what was more comfortable, what was more familiar. And the author of Hebrews is gonna drive them forward and it's not gonna be out of fear. 
It's gonna be out of seeing the beauty of Jesus, who he is, what he's done. And when that clicks in our minds, all of a sudden, all we wanna do is follow him with everything in us because we naturally drift to that which is better. And Jesus is better. And so what we're gonna do this morning with that in our minds, we're gonna jump into the first four verses of Hebrews, which was his preview of the entire message. And so we're gonna look at just a glimpse, a shimmering glimpse of the beauty of everything we're gonna look at over the next year. And so let me read to you Hebrews 1, one through four. Hebrews 1, one through four says this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir to all things and through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become much superior to angels as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. That's an intro. There's a lot here. And what I love about this is we don't know the author of Hebrews, but Hebrews is wanting to shine a light upon Jesus Christ. And so it's very fitting that we don't even know who wrote it because all this person wants to do is shine a light upon Jesus. And so that's what we're gonna do in this whole series. And in these first few verses, what we see is that Jesus is the full and final fulfillment of God's revelation to humanity. Jesus is the full and final revelation of God himself. It says in the first two verses, it says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Prophets were people that God spoke to in order that they would speak to God's people. But... In the last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Jesus is the full and final revelation of God. And so throughout your Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi, you hear 1,900 times one phrase, 1,900 times the phrase, thus says the Lord. These prophets, these individuals were going around and going, look, this is not my word. This is not my advice. This is God directly to his people through the means of the prophets. Thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord. Then Jesus comes. He doesn't say thus says the Lord. You know what he says? I say to you, I say to you. I say to you, 86 times in your gospels, Jesus proclaims, this is the word of God because I'm talking. It's not thus says the Lord anymore. It's I say to you, what God wants you to know about who he is, what he has done is fully and finally found in the words, the works, the person of Jesus Christ. The full and final fulfillment of God's revelation to humanity is Jesus Christ. And so what the author does from here in the next two verses is he's gonna give us seven different realities of why Jesus is better. Seven was the Hebrew number of fulfillment, of completion. And so he wants us to see like a diamond from every side, the beauty of who Jesus is. And we're gonna take them one by one. So the first thing we see is that Jesus is the heir of all things. God spoke to us through his son, whom he, the father, appointed the heir of all things. Now, what's an heir? An heir is someone who receives the totality of the father's 
property, land, money. Here it says that he, the father appointed Jesus, the heir, the receiver of everything, of everything. And so Jesus is the heir of everything. It's all his. The course of human history is moving towards Jesus. That means your job, his, your marriage, his, your kids, his, everything you have is on loan to you from Jesus Christ so that you could steward that, not for your glory, but his. He is the reason for creation. He is the purpose for everything. And that includes every single thing that we compare next to him comfort, security, money, but also you. The reason you exist is Jesus Christ. You don't exist for your job. You don't exist for your money. You don't exist for anything else than Jesus Christ. The entire universe, the purpose of the universe is Jesus. As Abraham Keitzer once famously said, there is not one square inch in this universe in which the risen Christ does not declare mine. I own it. Everything is moving towards one climactic end and everything is this beautiful gift to Jesus. He is the receiver of everything. He's the heir of all things. And that's just the first thing. We got six more. The second thing is not only is he the heir of all things, it says through whom he also created the world, that Jesus is the means of God's creation. And so creation actually exists because of Jesus. So not only is Jesus the receiver of everything, Jesus is the means by which God has given everything. And so think about your life, everything that's good, whether that's your kids, your family, your spouse, your job, everything that you have, it's from Jesus. Book of James says, every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the father of life. God is giving every good thing to us, but he's doing it through Jesus Christ. One of the major sins in our Bible is what's called idolatry. It's worshiping the gift above the giver. So everything you have that you're tempted to go, oh, this is better, this is better, this is better. That's a gift from God to you. And the giver is always better than the gift. The gift shows you the heart of the giver. And it's meant to pull you closer to the one who created everything. Jesus is the means of God's creation. Number three, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the very radiance of the glory of God. I love this kind of metaphor that they're using because the word radiance here, this whole thing, the radiance of the glory of God is an illustration, uh, an image of the sun, S-U-N. Because in Hebrew thought, the sun, big shiny thing in the sky and the radiance, the warmth you felt here on earth were actually the same thing. They didn't think of them as different in any way. Same substance, same everything. The only difference was that the radiance was the part of the sun that touched earth, that you could feel, that you wouldn't burn up by being too close to. 
You see this word radiance right here comes from the Greek from, it's two words combined, from and the dawn. Jesus is from the dawn of the glory of God. He's the first little light of sunrise. In fact, Luke, in the gospel of Luke, calls Jesus the sunrise that would visit us from on high, that would come into a dark world and illuminate everything we see. The book of Isaiah would long for this. One of these prophets of old that spoke to God or spoke from God to the people, they long for the day in which it says they hope for light, but behold, there's darkness. We grope like blind men, we can't see. But then in Isaiah 60, it says, arise, shine, for the light has come upon us. And that's Jesus Christ. He is the ray of God that has come to this world. And that word glory is the word weight. And so from the dawn, the weight and the significance of God is found in Jesus Christ. And he's come for us. He's the sunrise. Number four, Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. I love this one. Because when it clicked in my heart, all of a sudden, God made a lot more sense to me. You see this word imprint right here is a term that was used often in the ancient world. If you had property or land or whatever it was, you had the signet ring. And the signet ring would actually be pressed down on wax if you were gonna send a message or a contract to someone. And when someone saw that little wax with your unique signet ring in it, they didn't go, oh, look at a nice stamp. What they saw was the full character, worth, authority of whoever pressed that in. And right here, it says that Jesus is the exact representation of God to us. You wanna know what God the Father's like? You look at the full character and the love and the grace and the justice and the holiness of Jesus Christ. And so I often do this um, exercise with a group of people. Um, We typically are in a room and I just pass out some paper and we don't have enough paper for everyone in here. So just in your mind, think about this. What comes to your mind when you think about God the Father? What comes to your mind when you think about God the Father? You see, all of us have backgrounds and relationship dynamics and authority figures in our life that all of a sudden, when we think about God the Father, oftentimes uh, in those scenarios, what people draw is this like giant being sitting on a throne. And for some reason, he looks like Jesus, but like older Jesus, um, you know, like white beard. Um, But when I ask, hey, okay, if that's your drawing, if that's what comes to your mind when you think about God the Father, what are some of the words that you would use to describe God the Father? And it's word like powerful and mighty and strong and all that's true. But then when I press in on them, they begin to say, yeah, powerful and strong and mighty, but also uh, like distant, like unapproachable, far away, Maybe even if we're honest, like uncaring, like he's over everything, like does he really have time for me? And then I go, okay, put that, put that drawing aside. And I go, hey, now draw a picture of Jesus. I want you to think what comes to your mind when you think about Jesus. And most people either have Jesus on a cross or Jesus with people. And I just ask them, okay, what words come to your mind when you think about Jesus? And they'll say things like caring, loving, sacrificial, near. And then I read John 1.18. No one has ever seen God, God the Father. 
the only God who is at the Father's side, Jesus, he has made him known. Jesus is the exact imprint of God. So if you wanna know how God interacts with you, interacts with this world, you look at Jesus. If you wanna know how God cares about people, you look at Jesus. You wanna know how God interacts with you when you're hurting, you're scared, you're lonely, stuck in sin, you look at Jesus. He's the exact representation of God to us. He shows the very heart of God. Jesus is the exact imprint of God. You wanna know what God's like. You study the life and the ministry and the love and compassion of Jesus Christ. He's better, he's better. Jesus is also better because he upholds the universe. You know, that little thing. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. What I love about that is it's easy for us to think materially, right? Why like he's got the whole world in his hands, right? He's holding all the molecules, all the galaxies, and all of that is objectively true, but this word has more meaning to that. It's not just the material world, it's the relational world, it's the social world, it's the fabric of the world, yes, but also your world. You see, so many of us, what we try to do is we try to hold our little world together. And we typically cling so tightly to the very things that we actually think are better, are the ultimate. And so we are, by our human nature, constantly clinging to things that we shouldn't be clinging to as hard as we do. And so we cling to our work. Oh my gosh, if I don't do all this stuff, I might lose my job. We cling to our kids. We cling to our spouses. We cling to that. How does that person see me? And we so desperately try to cling to these and control things and sustain our lives that it's exhausting, isn't it? And a part of the sanctifying life as you become more like Christ is letting go and clinging your grip to the thing that is actually better, which is Jesus Christ. And so many people hear that and they go, well, if I'm clinging to him, then who's clinging to my family and my job and my life? Blammo! The one who's strong enough to. The one who's loving enough to. The goal of the Christian life is to slowly and surely see Jesus more and more for who he is, what he's done. And when that begins to happen, our grip around our family and our kids, and our work, and our money begins to loosen. And our grip begins to be clinged to him. And so in good times of our life, we can cling to him and go, God, I know you got this. And thank you for every good and perfect gift you've given me. But in hard times, when it's all the more tempting to go back and cling and to drift away, we can cling to him all the stronger knowing that even if it doesn't make sense to us, he's upholding our world. He's sustaining and he's good. When you begin to see Jesus like this, we begin to see that not only does he hold the world together, he holds our world together. We begin to see that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. For by him, all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, everything holds together. 
And when we see Jesus like that, all of a sudden something happens in our heart because we can now uncling our grips from the things of this world and joyfully cling our grips to Jesus. Because Jesus takes all of this power, all this might, and all of this energy that he has, and he directs it at you. But not to destroy you, to save you. To save you from your sin, to save you from yourself. You see, Jesus takes all of this and he directs it to purifying us. Jesus is better because he purifies us to stand before God. You see, the book of Hebrews has so many Old Testament illustrations in it. And so many of them we can kind of easily pass by. And yet this word right here, purification, shows up time and time again in your Bible, namely in the book of Exodus and the book of Leviticus. Now, I know we were all in Leviticus this morning. Every time I talk to one of you, you're like, yeah, I'm in the book of Leviticus. I just can't get out of it. I'm like, guys, there's more books of the Bible than Leviticus. Let's just, let's move on. You know, there's 65 other books and I get it. But here's the reality. We don't read those. And yet they're all leading to the person of Christ. And right here, it says that Jesus made purifications for sin. And that word comes up all the time at the end of Exodus and Leviticus. And so you have to ask yourself the question, why? Well, in the book of Exodus, God saved his people out of Egypt. And God's heart was to dwell with his people, to be amongst his people. And so what he told them at the end of Exodus is this, at the pinnacle of the book of Exodus is this moment in which, yes, God has saved his people from their sin, saved them from their slavery. And then all of a sudden he brings them to this place called Mount Sinai in which he gives them the law, the 10 commandments. And yet in the midst of this, God goes, my heart is that I would dwell with you. And so he gives them very specific instructions on how to build a tent. It's called the tabernacle. It literally means dwelling place. And this was a picture, a symbol of God's presence with his people. And so everything kind of went around this tabernacle, this tent, the entire social life, the economic life, the relational life was right in the middle. God was in the middle of everything, which shows you the very heart of God that he wants to be with you. Always. And yet at the end of Exodus, when all this stuff is meant to be this pure, this, this pure, this, this pure, this, Moses, who is leading the people, wants to enter into the very center of the tent, which is called the Holy of Holies, the very holy place of God. It had the Ark of the Covenant in it, which in it, it had the Ten Commandments. And yet, as Moses is walking in, God goes, no, 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 not yet. I want to dwell with you. I want you to experience the fullness of my presence, but there's a problem here and it's your sin. And your sin separates you from me. And so God gives his people the book of Leviticus. And at the center of the book of Leviticus, where all of these laws are pointing to, everything in the book of Leviticus is pointing to one day. And it's called the day of atonement in which the high priest once a year would take an innocent lamb And God said, I want you to pray over this lamb, the sins of you and the sins of these people. And in that moment, this lamb will act as a substitute 
The wages of sin is death, but the heart of God is to dwell with his people. And so he presents an innocent lamb as a substitute. And God tells him to slaughter that lamb and to go into the most holy of places and take the blood of an innocent one and cover the law of God. But the wages of sin is death. And yet through the sacrifice of an innocent one, an innocent substitute, we could be pure and enter into the most holy places to be with God. And then Jesus came. And the shadow of the Old Testament became the substance that's found in Christ alone. And that's why when he walked on the scene, the first thing he was called was the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. And the command was to behold him, to see him. And so what happened on the cross was that God took the sin of the world and put it on the innocent one. And as 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, for our sake, he, the father made him, Jesus, to be sin, whom knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is the ultimate picture of everything the Old Testament was leading towards. He made purifications for our sins. And when he did this, he didn't stay dead, but he rose. And because of that, we now have access to the most holy of holies, the very presence of God himself, because that's the heart of God for you. He wants you to be with him. And the way we get in is not our moral effort. It's through Christ alone. He's better. He's better. As Jesus rose from the grave, it said that he ascended into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so the final thing we see about Jesus is that he sits supreme over all things. You see the Holy of Holies, the tabernacle did not have seats because to sit down was a symbolic gesture that my work was finished. And the entire sacrificial system of the Old Testament was never finished. And yet what did Jesus say on the cross? It's finished, it's accomplished, it is done. What you needed for your salvation is fully accomplished in Jesus Christ and we don't add a single thing to it. And we know that not just by his death, but by his resurrection. And when he rose from the grave, he ascended into heaven and he sat down because his work was done. His work was accomplished. And what Jesus does now is intercedes on our behalf before God the Father and then joyfully welcomes every saint into eternity. That's the work of Jesus Christ, amen. So Jesus sits in all authority and all power over all things. He sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's the symbol of strength and authority. Jesus sits supreme over everything. He is better. In two verses, 
we saw seven realities about Jesus, that he's better because he's the heir of all things. He's better because he's the means of God's creation. He's the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of God's nature. He upholds the universe. He purifies us to stand before God and he sits supreme over everything. That's why we draw near. That when you look at this, what do you see? You see strength, you see joy, you see power, you see might, but you also see love and sacrifice and grace. You see Jesus Christ. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The end of Hebrews, the end of the Hebrews opening looks at all of this and then just celebrates how Jesus is better. Having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. He is better. This word right here, the name, means the totality of everything that Jesus is, is simply better. And so we at City Bridge, as we move through this series and you move through your life, I don't care what you put next to Jesus, he's better, he's better. We just have to see him that way. So as we move through this series, we gotta ask two very important questions. The first is, do we really believe this? You can say all day long, you love Chick-fil-A, but if you keep going to Cane's, one, there's something wrong with you, but two, you just have a said faith in Chick-fil-A, but your objective reality is that you keep going to the wrong sources. And it's true of Jesus. Do you really believe this about him? There was three different groups in the audience of Hebrews that we'll keep exploring throughout this series. There was those that had no faith. There was those that had a said faith. And there was those that had a saving faith. And the command to all of them is the same. Don't drift away, draw near, maybe for the first time, because Jesus is better. So the second question we have to deal with is, are you drifting or are you drawing near? There are so many things in our life that can pull us away from Jesus. So many things that compete for that throne room in our lives. But when we look up and we see him, he's better. So don't drift away, draw near. We're gonna have a bunch of our friends throughout the series who are gonna walk us through just even their own practices, their own humility of how they drift away, but also their practices on how to draw near. There's a thousand ways, but there's only one person we're going after. It's Jesus Christ. See, the book of Hebrews begins by saying, hey, long ago, God spoke in all these different ways, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. And what I love about that is that when Jesus came, there was this moment that I've been thinking about this week. And in this moment, Jesus pulled some of his followers up on a mountaintop. We know it as the Mount of Transfiguration. And on that mountain, there was two pictures of the prophets of the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah. And in that moment, Jesus is transformed so that others, people can see a glimpse of the radiance of the glory of God. And his disciples see this and all they wanna do is go do, 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 do. And God the Father speaks from heaven. And you know what he says? He says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. 
listen to him. Listen to him. City Bridge, if we have any hope of being all that we were meant to be, it only happens when we draw near. So don't drift away. Draw near. Because Jesus is better. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.